calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Realm presents Bullet Catcher, Season 2, Episode 8. Again. When I wake, I'm alone in the Vardo. There's no sign of Knack anywhere. The bench and floor have been scrubbed clean. The only evidence of last night is the small red stains on the lip of the wash basin. I sit up, carefully swing my legs over the edge of the bed, and pull back the bandages to examine the wound in the early morning light. Knack's stitching is crude, but well done, and I have no doubt it'll hold until my skin knits back together. Carefully, I ease off the bed and balance on my legs. Besides the dull ache running from the wound up my side, I have no trouble standing. The wound bites when I walk, but everything else hurts so much, I barely notice. I'm testing the leg out, walking in circles around the small cabin, when the door swings open and reveals Knack. His hands and arms are still stained pink with my blood. His hair is matted with sweat and his eyes are dark from sleeplessness. I don't think you should be moving around like that, he says. The state of him makes me feel guilty for taking his bed last night. But I don't want to let him know, in case he'd interpret it as some kind of flirtation. Knack might look like a brick house, but he's young, and who knows how stupid when it comes to women. I'm fine, is all I say. And then when he just goes on standing there, I add, Your stitching is good. He smiles. Well... I guess if you're good enough to stand, then come on. I want to show you something. We make our way across the muddy potholed field. He tries to take my hand so that I won't lose my balance on the uneven ground. But when I tell him I'm fine, he doesn't try again. He leads me back to the old Vardo at the end of the semicircle. Even from a short distance, I can see that the broken glass has been replaced and the holes have been patched. He leads me up the steps and inside. 
and what I find nearly takes my breath away. The entire cabin has been transformed. The rotted wood and broken furniture have been cleared and replaced with a bench and table and new bed. None of it is as beautifully engraved as those that decorate any of the irregulars, Vardos, but it's excellent work all the same. New curtains are pulled back from the windows to let the light in. Clean sheets lay across the newly made bed. The old iron stove has been rebuilt, and a fire crackles warmly behind the grate. When, when did you do all this? Last night. I hope you haven't done all this for me. No, I did it for me, so that I might get to sleep in my own bed every once in a while. He smiles. I can't accept it. It's too much. Besides, I'm not staying long. Then use it for as long as you stay. And when you leave, someone else will use it. People are always coming and going from our merry little band. But for as long as you're here, you're one of us. I'm grateful, but it doesn't mean... He raises his hands. No strings. The Vardo needed fixing anyway is all. The rest of the day is cold, and it gives way to a colder night. Alone in the Vardo, my small temporary home, I light the lamps and start the fire. Outside, the rain begins to fall, pitter-pattering against the new windows, and stretched out on the newly sanded floor, my leg warming close to the fire, I can't help but think about Knack, and how he really isn't so bad. I don't trust him, to be sure. Where I'm from, it never profits a woman to trust a man, especially if he makes out like he's one of those kind and honest types. They are usually the ones who are least honest and most mean. But there is a part of me that hopes Snack isn't like that. And he isn't the worst looking guy who's ever got ideas about me. And perhaps I wouldn't be so quick to send him packing if my heart wasn't broken into a million pieces because of Lobo and Cass. And then it's all I can do to not picture them the way I last saw them, dead in the street. I roll over on my side an inch closer to the warmth of the stove. I squeeze my eyes shut and focus on the sound of rain pattering, heavy now against the glass. Tomorrow and every day after this, whether my leg's better or not, I will make Mal show me her secrets. I will learn how to make Nico, and everyone else responsible for Lobo and Cass, pay for all the days I'll spend without them. I stand at the center of the wide bowl of the desert, surrounded on all sides by snow-capped mountains. Evening is approaching. The sun has slipped behind the rim of the world. The sky is violet. Before me stands my parents' homestead, just as I remember it, before the fire. The sound of boots trudging through the soft sand, the jingle-jangle of spurs echoes off the mountains, filling the air with a sound like a funeral hymn. The procession passes without taking any notice of me. Twelve men, clad in black, with hoods over their heads, and carrying on their shoulders a pair of caskets. A thirteenth man leads the way, torch held high overhead. Nico. 
As they march past, night drops like a curtain over the desert. Starless, pitch black. The only light comes from Nico's torch as it steadily marches towards our homestead. It's so dark I can't even see my hands in front of my face. I have no sense of my body, of running to catch up to Nico. And even when I close in on the light, there's no one there at all. Just a burning torch hanging in the air. A will-o'-the-wisp. Only when we come to the homestead do Nico and the other twelve reappear, as if emerging from a dense fog. They climb the front steps to the uneven porch our father built. They lay the caskets down there. Nico flicks the air with the torch and the caskets are opened. And lying there are Lobo and Cass, made up in that pale funeral makeup that makes a person look like a clown. There we are, Nico and I, looking down at the two bodies. And when I look up at Nico, he's crying that quiet kind of crying. When the tears come like crazy, but you're so sad you don't make a sound. And when I look back down at the bodies, it's not Cass and Lobo at all, but our parents. Except I can't quite make out their faces, because I can't rightly remember what they look like. And then Nico puts his hand on my shoulder and squeezes, and I gasp with a heartache so fierce and sudden that it shocks me into waking. It's a dark early morning. Outside a storm blows something fierce. I don't know what to make of the dream, or Nico in it. It made me hate and miss him all at once. To want to kill him and hold him and be held by him in that way he used to when we were kids and I was afraid of the dark. These days, I don't know what to make of anything. Without Lobo to tell me what's what, I don't know if I'll ever figure out anything ever again. I think all this while washing the sleep from my face in the basin, brushing my teeth, pulling on my clothes. When I leave the Vardo, the sun's still not up. Sleet dampens my shoulders. It's been weeks since I started training with Mal. And ever since my leg got good enough, I've been taking these early runs to get my strength back and to burn off the anger and sadness that accompanies every new morning. I'm just about to head out when Nack calls out to me. Where are you off to? I'm so deep in my thoughts that his voice startles me, and I only just managed to save myself from tripping in a pothole. I turn to face him, trying to look cool, but I can tell by his barely contained laughter that he saw me get all tangled. Just to run, it's good for the leg. He shakes his head. Hold on he says, ducking into his vardo. I stand there, the sleet coming down, my hair pasted to my forehead with damp. He emerges a moment later with something in his hands and comes jogging over to me. He hands me a cured leather coat with a hood and says, For the rain. I can't take anything more from you, I say, pushing it back into his hands. Then consider it alone. I manage to smile by way of thank you and pull the coat over my shoulders. It's amazingly light and well-made. There we go, he says, looking good. And though I don't want it to, his words send my heart skittering. I thank him quickly and rush off to start my run, hoping that he didn't see how red my face was getting. 
The rookery is quiet and near deserted this time of morning. Behind this or that window, a lamp glows with the first stirrings of people getting ready for the day ahead. The fishmongers and bakers are the only others awake at this time. It's too cold for the fish to start smelling, but not so cold that the scent of new bread can't fill the air with a kind of hopefulness. The sky has opened up, and the cool sun is shining by the time I arrive back in camp, huffing from the long run around the district and my leg barking and cramped like hell. Nack stands at the entrance to the big top, directing a group of irregulars to set up planks leading from the road across the lot to the entrance. They're opening tomorrow night, and with the weather as bad as it's been, they're running behind. For a while, I just watch him, the little puffs of steam rising from his mouth as he gives orders. And then he sees me, and smiles, and gives me a little half-wave. And whatever nonsense I'd got myself caught up in for a moment evaporates, and I turn away and march back towards my Vardo without waving or making it seem like I'd seen him at all. I get inside and slam the door behind me. I undo Nack's rain-soaked coat from my shoulders and throw it on the floor. At the wash basin, I splash warm water on my face and stare at my reflection in the little pool. What happened to the girl who chased Lobo across the desert just for the chance to learn from him the person who refused to take no for an answer when he told her he wouldn't train her. The person who took on a whole town of gunslingers and came out alive on the other side. There's a knock at the door. Mal pokes her head in. You're late, she barks. If you don't got the spine for this kind of work, better you tell me now. I dry my face and shoulder past her out the door. She gives a grunt of satisfaction, and we head off to the nest the only place private enough for us to practice without drawing attention. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Up in the nest, the wind whips at my hair. I tie it back with a piece of string. Mal waits for me with her arms crossed impatiently. When I'm done, she thumps her chest, and I thump mine in response. Ready. She shows me the stance I should take, and I mirror. 
Then she kicks my feet to spread them out, hits my shoulder with her fist like a hammer to tell me I'm too crouched. Finally, she takes a couple steps back and nods, satisfied. Then she leans in close to my ear and says, Remember what they did. I remember. So what are you going to do about it? Hurt them. Good. Let's see it. She counts out 20 paces and turns. She thumps her chest again to check if I'm ready. I take a breath and think about all the times we've done this so far, and all the new scars and mischances I have to show for it. But, again, I've learned how not to be afraid, and I thump my chest in return. Mal takes aim and fires. I step toward the bullet, centering all my anger on the spot I know the bullet will pass through. But I manage only to deflect it so that it skips off my palm and tumbles away. I shake the hot pain from my hand, clamping it with my other to staunch the blood that seeps through my fingers and down my arm. Again, Mao shouts. I look up as she thumps her chest. This is crazy, I say to myself, knowing Mao won't hear with all this wind. But I get into position once again. The blood runs thickly down my arm and drips off the point of my elbow. Deep breath. I thump my chest. Ready. Mal fires again, and this time I'm too slow. It's not even a fraction of a second, but it's enough. The bullet bites into my arm before I have a chance to stop it. The pain drops me to a knee. I catch my breath, watching the blood run down my arm, making a pool at my feet. Death, that old fear, gathers strength in the back of my brain, and I squeeze my eyes shut and shake my head, as if trying to knock it loose. Again! comes Mal's voice on the wind like a curse. I spit on the ground and watch my saliva mix with the blood. Again! she shouts, but this time her voice comes from much nearer. Mal's shadow falls over me, and she slaps the side of my head. Again! Or are you too weak? And then, it's like my whole head fills with blood, so that everywhere when I look I see nothing but red and black, and my heart beats in my ears like a drum, and there's no pain at all anymore, as if pain is a word that only applies to other people. I stand up quickly and push her away. For a moment she stares at me like she's going to kill me, but then I thump my chest, and she nods and marches back to her place to take her next shot. I'm ready by the time she turns and thumps her chest. I thump mine in confirmation, and again she raises the gun and fires. I don't hear the gunfire. I barely recognize the muzzle flash. The gun doesn't even look like a gun in Mal's hands. It's a toy, a harmless thing. In my heart, I hate the gun. I hate the bullet. I hate the person holding it. I hate myself. I hate everyone still breathing, because none of them are Lobo or Cass or Heartright or my parents. I step toward the bullet and bring my foot down hard. And the next thing I know, Mal is walking up to me. The slightest play of a grin on her face. She bends down and picks something up from the ground. When she brings it over to me, my body is still so tense she has to reach out and open my hand into which she drops the still hot bullet. The tip has been flattened to a blunt saucer. Good, she says. And then, 
Let's do it again. Later that night, I sit on the steps of my Vardo. A plate of half-eaten chicken and potatoes balanced on my lap, and a hot cider cooling in a mug beside me, watching Nack lead a sing-along with the rest of his troop around a bonfire they've made in the center of the lot. It burns so hot I can feel the heat on my face, even from this distance, where the light of the fire only splashes here and there across my Vardo. My Vardo. When did I start thinking of it that way? Nack waves his arms at Rado, who saws a bow across the strings of an old fiddle. The sound is somehow mercilessly rough, but catchy. And most of the other irregulars dance and jig around the fire. And now Nack is waving for Rado to stop and for the others to pause. He wears a huge smile. His hair looks like fire in the flickering light. And there's a bottle of clear alcohol in his hand that he sloshes about as he talks. He holds their attention with his smile, his arms outstretched like he's about to try to bring them all into one big embrace. And then he shouts, Tomorrow we open. And all the irregulars burst into a cheer. And then Roto puts the bow to the fiddle and everyone is dancing again. Nack takes a tour around the fire, locking arms with his compatriots and twirling with one of them after another. And when he's back where he started, he looks dizzy and ecstatic with the music and heat and excitement. And that's when he looks past the fire, past the dancers, past Rado playing the fiddle, and Eos, who's just joined him with a harmonica. And for a moment, I don't know what he's looking at. Until he raises his hand, and I realize all of a sudden that he's looking at me. And that he must have seen me staring at him all this time. I wave back at him, my hand all bandaged up from training with Mao. Then he's waving for me to come join them around the fire. I shake my head. And then he's making his way toward me, shaking hands with his irregulars as he passes them, and all the time staring at me like I'm the only thing the light can touch. My heart races. The wooden steps I'm sitting on complain loudly as Mao adds her weight to them. She follows my gaze toward the fire. What you doing here all by your lonesome? She says. When Nack sees Mal sit down, he melts back into the party. Just thinking, I tell her, pushing the potatoes around on my plate with my finger. You do too much of that, she says. And then, you should eat. You need your strength. I pinch off a bit of the potato and put it into my mouth. We sit there in silence for a time, both of us watching the merrymakers around the fire, and maybe for the moment, we both wish we were more like them than us. You did well today, Mal says, as if it pains her to give a compliment. Thanks, I say, and silence falls between us once again. We watch as some of the dancers break away from the fire and head back for their vardos. Some alone and some in pairs. You know, she says, I was once like you. How am I, exactly? Soft, she says, reaching into her coat and pulling out a cigarette. 
She lights it, letting the smoke out slowly through her nose. Not all the way through. There's a hard center in you. It's how you've made it this far without getting yourself killed. That hard little center. Today, I saw it. I can't imagine you ever like me. She laughs at that. A short, mean, tobacco-stained laugh. Believe it or not, I was. And once upon a time, I was young as well. I had a paw, a mom, a teacher. A good teacher who taught me how to catch bullets like I was dancing. Just like your teacher taught you. What happened to them? I asked the question already knowing the answer. Murdered. Every last one of them. She exhales another lungful of smoke and flicks the cigarette into the mud. For a long time, my bones would hurt from missing them. Hurt so bad I couldn't get out of bed. And I cried so much my teacher told me I'd die of thirst. He told me that till the day he was killed, too. It didn't get any easier until the last of them was killed. Mm. Then it got easy all at once. I had nothing left to lose. That's where you're at right now. There's nothing left for them to take from you. And that makes you strong. The fire has died down to a low flame by now. The dancing and music are over, and those who remain hold close to each other for warmth, not yet ready for the night to end. I watch Nack say his goodnights and clumsily make his way across the potholed mud field back to his fardo. They could kill me, I say. She scoffs. What is your life but something to trade? And what do you reckon I'd trade my life for? She doesn't say another word until I meet her eyes. Revenge, she says. She stands and starts to walk away, but then stops and half turns back to me and says, If I were you, I'd best stop thinking of Knack and the way you've been thinking of him. I don't think of him at all. She shakes her head. You're no good at lying. You go down this road, and he'll be just one more person the gunslingers have to take from you. Then she turns and walks away, back to her vardo. And I'm left alone, with her words still hanging in the air, and the night drawn frigid and dark all around me. You're listening to Bullet Catcher Season 2 by Joaquin Lowe. Produced by Realm, your portal to another world. Listen away. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.
Bullet Catcher is written by Joaquin Lowe, produced by Marco Palmieri, and executive produced by Molly Barton, performed by Inez del Castillo. Audio produced, directed, and designed by Amanda Rose Smith. Additional editing by Corey Barton. Original theme composed by Hashem Asadolahi, with performances by Justin Morell and Josh Deutsch. Cover art by Christine Barcelona.